0: Good opportunity now to come and just uh, consider the word of God together. Um, just before we do, just to spend a moment in prayer, just um, for, the, for the communities we're in, for the nation and for the planet. That there's, everyone is impacted, everyone is going through these things in different ways. And so let's just spend a few moments just praying uh, for our communities, for the, our families. Um, and just that God would really touch people's hearts in this time. Lord God, at this time we think of your promises. Lord, that you said that I would never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, I particularly want to pray for those at this time who are struggling with fear, Lord, and struggling with anxiety, and that they would come and really find a strength in you. Lord, you said the joy of the Lord is our strength, and we can even have joy, Lord, in you, in these difficult situations, because you never change. You are faithful, and you will not forsake us. You will always be with us, Lord, and you see the beginning from the end. And Lord, may people's trust be put in you today. Lord, we pray, Lord, and just commit our church to you, Lord, our church family and the community that we're in, and pray that we would um, just be able to love one another well during this time. And encourage one another in faith. We pray, Lord, that you would do a new thing amongst us, Lord, and... Lord, in this country, Lord God, and on the planet, Lord God, that you would do a new thing, Lord, where people will meet with you and know you as the risen saviour. Amen. Okay, well, welcome, everyone. It's uh, it's good to be here this morning and to bring the word of God um, to the church, and the church has... You know, I reflect on what we've been reminded of over the past year. You know, the church isn't just a gathering that meets on a Sunday. It's 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 everywhere. It's in all of us um, who are Christ's, and we gather, um, but we also are where, wherever we are. Christ is with us, and that's where the church is. Um, as a church, we've been going through the book of First John, and so um, I want to come and just share. Um, the passage that I've been given, and that I'm going to read that in a moment. Uh, first of all, just want to, if my clicker works, oh, I've got to turn it on. That'll be helpful. This is where you find out the batteries are dead. Yep. Over to you, my trusty assistant, John, who can click the slides for me. And so these are some of the subjects that we've been looking at over the past few weeks. Think about our relationship with sin, whether we're loving the right things about deception, watching out for deceivers, about maturing in the faith and our identity as children of God. And there are many themes in the book of First John that John repeats over and over again um, and kind of consolidating them, kind of reinforcing them. And so this morning as well, um, we're going to reinforce some things and kind of hopefully God will speak to you as well. So I'm just going to read, first of all, um, the passage that I've got, and it will appear on your screens as well. So I'm reading from the book of 1 John, chapter 3, and I'm reading verses 11 to 24. And so you can follow along. If you haven't got your Bibles, you can quickly grab one, or you can follow on the screen. It says, For this is a message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother, And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not abide in death, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So I'm going to break this down into three sections today. And the first is verses 11 to 15. And I've kind of given that a little subtitle of living in light. Now love is not a new message. And this is the trouble when you get a passage like this, and you're thinking, Okay, I'm going to talk about love the danger is, as a congregation, we can um, just turn off a little bit. Because it's like, well, you know, this is pretty obvious. And Paul, in a sense, John is saying this, he's like, this is nothing new to you guys. This is nothing new. You know, if I said to you, it's good to love people. I don't think there's anyone who's like, I'm not too sure about that, Daniel. Um, But the point is, it's good to love people. And this has been right from the beginning. So if you go right back into the very beginning of the Bible, you see the the message is love. And sometimes we can get lost. Sometimes people think in the Old Testament, you know, that's the God of wrath and anger. But actually, when you read it, you realize this is the God of love. And actually, when Jesus came, what Jesus was doing, he was just reinforcing and kind of empowering that message. And so a lot of things where he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That wasn't new with Jesus. If you read your Old Testament, that was in the Old Testament. And so God, God is having this same message throughout time to come and love people. And so maybe it's a message that we are too familiar with. Um, the danger of that is that we can miss the power of it. Without quoting uh, is it Huey Lewis, The Power of Love. Um, I won't start singing that one now, but you know... There is power in love. And not just that's nice, like it's nice when we can feel love, but actually true love has dramatic power to change things. And, and so we're told to love one another. And now in contrast to this, uh, John says that we should not be like Cain. Now again, if you don't know the story of Cain and Abel, again it's back in the beginning of Genesis, And Cain uh, kills his brother, Abel. And so, John, just like in the same way we got this message, love is good, it's like, yeah, duh, it's pretty obvious that love is good. Now we have this other message, murder is bad. Um, Now, it reminded me of this uh, little caption uh, that says, be like Bill. Uh, I don't know if you can click the next slide. If you don't know what be like Bill is, this is be like Bill. Um, this is an example. This is Bill. Bill is about to eat. Bill is going to eat. Instead of taking a picture of it and post it over Instagram, Bill is smart. Be like Bill. Okay, so that's Bill. So I thought of this when I thought of this verse. So I've gone to the next one. This is my creation. Cain was of the evil one. Cain murdered his brother. Murder is bad. Don't be like Cain. Okay, so hopefully this is not anything new to you this morning. Don't murder people, okay? Uh, That's kind of 101 kind of life. Murder is bad. But then John kind of asks this question. He says, and why did he murder him? Because we can say, yeah, obviously murder's bad, but why did he murder him? Why do people do bad things? Because you know what? I don't know about you, but I don't just wake up one day and think, I'm feeling a bit murdery today. Um, you know, out of the blue, yesterday was a really good day we spent with the family. Today, I think I'll do a bit of murder. You know, it's not what we're going to do. We don't f- suddenly one day wake up and think that way. And we have got to realise that, that when we come to things like that, and it's not just murder, it can be other things as well, there are many things in life that add up to that point. There are many things that build up to it. And Cain was following a path whereby he was hardening his heart. And we can do that in a way that we, we do one thing and we turn our hearts slightly away from God. We do another thing and it just compounds it and compounds it and compounds it. And, and there gets to a point where suddenly we might be doing things that we never thought we would do. Now, if you had said to Cain at one point, will you ever murder your brother? I'm sure he would have said no, not at all. But things got so bad in his life and in their relationship that it led to murder. And so Cain got darker and darker. And the reality that we face, and this is something that John talks about consistently in his book. I use the word consistently because what he talks about is inconsistency, incompatibility. That there are things in life that just don't go together. And darkness and light don't go together. So earlier on he says, you know, you can't say that you love your brother and walk in darkness. And you can't say, 'I, I hate someone and think that you're walking in light. The two are incompatible. And so darkness and light cannot coexist. And darkness hates light. We can't walk in darkness and walk with God. And so Cain was in this position where he was increasingly walking in darkness. And so his relationship with God became more distant and distant and he wasn't walking in that way. So his deeds were evil. And John says this word, he says, don't be surprised, brothers, in verse 13. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Because if you've got this reality where darkness and light cannot coexist, then there'll be a friction between them. And we've got to realise as well that when we act in righteousness, and that's what I think by living in the light, that's what it means. When we act in righteousness, it exposes the darkness in others. And you know what, when darkness gets exposed, people don't like that. You know, Um, if you think about it very simply, if you're when you wake up in the morning, and it's been dark all night, and you got the curtains drawn, and someone comes in your room and draws the curtains, and then all the sunlight comes in, you kind of shrink away like some kind of "Ah, and you kind of um, you hate the light because you've got used to the darkness. And it exposes, and you shrink away from it. And so imagine that, that in your life, if you're used to living in a certain way, and then somebody comes along, and it exposes things in you, and it makes you feel in that way, you're going to hate it. And so don't be surprised when the world hates you, if you are living in righteousness, if you're living in light. I was thinking about how this might work out in our lives and I was thinking about particularly in the workplace, because I find the workplace is a very easy place to compromise. You know, uh, where your, your boss might say to you, um, just tell them I'm not here right now. And so you tell a little lie just to cover up. Or I, I find as well, you know, sometimes when you're going out with people and they're all doing something and there's that part of you, it's like, uh, I don't really want, I know I shouldn't really join in with this, but I want to be part of it. And so the temptation is to compromise our light so that we can exist in darkness. Because what the darkness is saying is, can you, can you just turn it down? And I've had times where I've kind of felt like, I've had it where I've got into a room and people will stop talking about what they're talking about. <laughs> and hopefully it's not because they're talking about me. Um, maybe that was what it was about. Um, but sometimes because of your righteousness... When you go into a situation, they're like, I can't talk about that because you're here. Or they want to do something, they wouldn't think, I can't do that because you're here. And then because you're basically being the killjoy in that situation, in their opinion, it can lead to resentment. And so I've had times, again, where you think people are going to go out and have some fun and and they don't really want you to come. Because they're like, well, you don't really like getting drunk, do you? Um, I'm like, no, not really. Um, and so your righteousness exposes their light and there's a, a tension between them. Yeah. And the risk is that we, we don't just accept that incompatibility because the reality is when you get rejected in that way, we should be rejoicing yeah. because it's like, wow, that must mean that God is in me yeah. and is living through me in a way that the world can't stand. And maybe the greater worry is when the world is so comfortable with you that it can stand you and loves you being there. Now, in some ways, we look at the life of Jesus and, and there are times when they love Jesus being there. And so hopefully there are times when they love you being there. But there are also times when they hated Jesus being there because he exposed the things in their life. And so light will expose darkness. Will we be tempted to turn down the light or will we stand in the light that God has given us? Okay, let's go on to the next one more. So we're going to read now going on to verse 16 to 18 and this is love and action. Because as I was saying, the question was how did Cain get to this place? Um, Or how do we get to this same place where Cain was? where we can be doing things um, where we shouldn't be doing them. I think the reality is what we, in order to not get there, we need to pass, and it says this, that we pass from death into life. So it says that back actually in verse uh, 14. So I've missed a bit. So can we go back one slide? I missed a bit. Let's go. There we go. It says that we know that we have passed out of death into life, and so the reason we can stop ourselves from getting in the way of Cain is, is that this, we have this divine transaction where we were dead. We were in that place of, of death where you read that maybe in so, something like Ephesians chapter 2. We move from death into life. And God, that is the work of Christ in our life. But we maintain this through our choices, our choices to love others. Because it says... We know it because we love others. We don't get it because we love others. And this is a very important point. You don't get salvation because you love others. You don't get to eternal life. You don't get to light. But your, your choice to love others, the actions to love others, are a recognition of what has happened in your life that you have passed from death into life. And so we abide in life and not in death. And the fruit of this, and you have to look at this, the fruit will be of your abiding. So if you're abiding in death as Cain was, if you're abiding in darkness, the fruit of that will be murder or some other such thing. But if your fruit, if you're abiding in life, then your fruit will be good. Okay, let's go on to 16. So we think about love, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And so Jesus was the example of God's love. Jesus was the expression and the reality of God's love who saw a lost people and sent his son as a sacrifice to save them. And so you think about John writing this and you think about the Gospel of John and there's so much compatibility in these books. And you think about one of the most famous verses, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he so loved the world that he gave his Son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And that's the truth. And this is the example that he loved so much that he gave. He loved so much that he sacrificed. And it's not just that the Father gave the Son as a sacrifice, but the Son, Jesus Christ, gave himself as a sacrifice because there were so many options, so many ways out. And we look in the Garden of Gethsemane, when just before he went to the cross, and Jesus said, "Will this cup? Can this cup pass from me? but not my will, but yours be done. Because he didn't look at the situation he was in, the trouble he was in, but he looked forward to the hope that was before him. And that was the salvation of our souls. The salvation of your soul. He loved you so much that he was willing to die for you. And this is the example, and it's a, it's a high example. But because of that, We are called to love others. You know, when you have been, when you know love, you will show love. And often when we struggle to show love, it can be an indication that we're lacking the love that we need. You just put that in a very practical situation where a child is not raised in a good environment and it can impact that child. In, in dramatic ways, in their ability to feel secure, to feel affirmed, um, to express that love well to others, but actually, when we 've been loved well, we should be able to show that to others. so we all know, and this is the trouble we all know that we should love, as I said before it's not this isn 't news to say. Um, you know, God loved you, we should love others. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, this is something you've probably heard many times. But I, I wonder if the challenge and the difficulty is that our, this knowledge that we have becomes just that. It's just knowledge, where it just becomes something we say, oh yeah, I know I should love others. Love is good, love is all those things, you know. Love is wonderful, I should love, God is love. And we repeat these things, but then when it comes to our action, our actions can be found wanting. And so John is challenging, and we look to this, if you go right back to John's introduction where he talked about gnosis, this idea that knowledge is the be-all and end-all. And John is like, no, you cannot just know this stuff. You've got to do this stuff. You've got to live it out. And if you live it out, if you're not living it out, then I question if you actually really know it. So knowledge is not enough. And so it says this verse, but if anyone has the world's goods, and we're not just talking about stockpiling toilet rolls here, you know, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? So first of all, again, we're looking at what is abiding in you. Because what is abiding in you, and I did this little survey, by the way, just to see in this book, what it says abides in you and what it says I abide in. And there's two things. And they kind of mesh in together, ultimately, it's like, they just become all the, almost this one thing. But ultimately, you need to abide in something that it might abide in you. Um, and so God is saying, you know, so what's abiding in you will come out through you. And so if you're not abide if it's not abiding in you, because you're not abiding in it, then it won't come through you. I hope you got that one. You can re- rewind that on the uh, YouTube later if you need to. Um, But what has God blessed you with? That you are withholding from others. Because there are others around you who have a need that needs to be met. Now, it might be financially, it might be love, it might be time, it might be all these different things. But God has blessed each one of us with something. Because you might be looking at your life and think, you know what, I haven't got much, I've got nothing. But I believe by faith, that God has given you something that can meet the need of somebody else. Mainly I believe that because that is how God has designed us, that's how God has designed his church and I believe this world, because actually as a world, and you hear this, you know, if you're listening to the news at the moment, it's like, there's enough for everyone. If we all just think of others, if we all just be considerate and love one another in that essence, they're preaching the gospel the chief medical officers and all that, they're preaching the gospel because they're saying there's enough to go around. And that's the way God has designed us as people, that there is something in you that is designed to meet the need of somebody else. And the question is, are we willing to give that? Because if we're not, it really needs to raise this question of what is in you. What are you abiding in? What is abiding in you? Because if it's not flowing out of you, you've got to question what is there. And I find it very interesting because, you know, John doesn't hold back. If you really take this to heart, what John's saying, or what I just said, John's not holding back, and I'll blame John because John wrote it, but I'm saying it. He's, he's like, there cannot be you cannot say, I love people. You cannot say, I love God, and withhold from them. You just can't do it. It's not possible. It's incompatible. If you're withholding, then you're not abiding. And I think this is a challenging word. And I was thinking of this, I was talking to Louisa last night, and I was thinking, oh, what's, a, what's a good example of this? But the reality is, I realise in my own life, I do this all the time. Like, maybe not in massive ways, but, you know, that moment where you think, oh, I'd just rather do this for myself than do this for somebody else. You know, when when my kids are like, oh, Dad, can you just come and do this? And I'm like, stop being lazy, just do it yourself. There's that part of me that, like, oh, Dad, can you come and do this? Or, you know, when just these thousands of opportunities each day, to love somebody else, and to offer something to somebody else, to meet a need of somebody else. And I just realized in my own heart, I think, God, I'm, there's just so many times that I, I, I fall short of this. And the, but the reality is, what it shows, it, again, it shows where we're abiding. It shows where I'm abiding. Because I know equally that when I'm, you know, those times where you think, man, I, I feel close to God at this time where you know you've been with him, you know you've been in his presence. When you've been in that place, you're just naturally, or maybe supernaturally, more willing to do those things for others. Because when you abide with God, you think less of yourself. It's not, if I told you to go away and think less of yourself, you cannot do it. But if you, if you go away and abide in God, then he will abide in you and you will think less of yourself. And so we not, need to have this connection between knowledge and doing. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. It's not enough just to say I know it. It's not enough just to say I believe it but you've got to do it. We've got to put love into action. But we can only do that if we are abiding in him. Let's go to the next uh, section now. And this is the right heart. Because I don't know if that convicts you. Um, I don't know if, maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, I'm just not very loving. Um, I'm not very, I don't feel very, I'm grieved in my heart. And um, And John addresses this, because he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Because you've got to realize your heart can deceive you. Um, Because you hear something like this, and you think, oh man, I'm I'm just rubbish. And you know, as I reflect on I'm like, man, I'm just selfish. And I want to encourage you that if you're feeling like this, then that's brilliant. Because it shows that your heart is soft and open to God. Because the heart that loves will always feel that they don't love enough. They will always feel, I I just want to love more. I want to do more. I want to serve more. I want to give more. And I can't, and I feel restricted. And maybe there's selfish reasons why you feel restricted at times, but sometimes it's just because you can't. There's only so many hours in a day. There's only so many pounds in the bank. There's only so much love that you can give in some respects. But if your heart this morning is, oh man, I want to give more and I feel so lame that I can't give more, then I want to encourage you. And this is what I I, I feel John was saying. He's like, you know, what your heart will condemn you and your heart might say, oh, you're not doing enough. But God is greater than your heart. And he knows everything. He knows who you are. He knows what you think, what you feel, whether your motives are pure or whether they're selfish. He knows whether you're withholding from him or not. My concern is more if your heart is unmoved. If your heart is, is resisting that, that call of God to love, to give, and to lay down your life. If you're like, well, you know what, I'm good enough. If I'm, if I'm, you know, well, this is my stuff. If you're suddenly protective about it, if you're suddenly like, you know, we've got this idea of people hoarding, but we can hoard in so many different ways. That's my concern, that just like Cain, in a sense, we can be in that danger of hardening our heart bit by bit, slowly, 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 distancing ourselves from God. And it's really my prayer for you if you are feeling that way, that there is a call of God to come and abide in him. Because as I was saying, if I can tell you to give stuff up, you might be like, oh God, give it up. But, but really that's not going to change anything. Because your heart is still unmoved. You've just been guilt-tripped into doing something that you didn't want to do. The only way your heart can change is coming to abide in Christ, in his love, in his truth, in his word. I challenge you, after this sermon, go, go through the book of John, 1 John and look where it says abide, abiding. And just have a think about how do I abide in these things? So the right heart then it says, it says that beloved if our heart does not condemn us, which hopefully if you've come to that point now where you say yes my heart does not condemn you, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And so this is the reality because if you're in that place where you're like God I just want to do more, I just want to give more, I want to love more, and he's like, right, you can pray and you will receive because you have my heart. And because if you've got my heart, then obviously I'm going to give you it. It's the prayer that is hard-hearted, that is selfish, that he's like, no, I'm not going to give you that. But it's when we've come to this part, place where our heart has confidence, where it's right before him, that we can come and ask because we're going to ask for the right things. and So we can have that confidence. Read the last two verses. And it says, And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So we have this calling from God, this commandment from God, but we have to believe. We have to believe in him, but then we also need to love. So it's not just about believing, it's not just about, again, that's what the problem was with the, the Gnostics, the knowing. It's all about what you believe is the most important thing. But he say no, you've actually got to have an outworking of your belief, which is love for others. So it's not just about what you believe, but about what you do as well. And we've got to avoid the deception that these can be separated. Now again, very few of us would say, well, you know, I'm going to just believe this and not do it. We're not consciously making that decision. But the reality is, we can so often do that in our lives. We can so often not put these things into action. God has called us to himself, this relationship. And it's not just an intellectual relationship. It's not just a thing where I, you know, I've read my Bible. I know my Bible. I, I know about faith. I know about, you know, religion and what it might be. I, you know, you, if I asked you ten questions about God, you'd be able to answer them all because you know. Relationship is not just intellectual, but it's a desire for Him. It's a desire for the things He desires. And I really hope that through this, that we're going to come to this place where we're not just having this acknowledgement of God. But we connect with him and we know him in a deeper way. We also can't just have our faith as something that we did. You know, maybe you call yourself a Christian this morning and you would say, well, there was a day where I prayed a prayer. There was a day when I got baptised. Or, you know, I remember, you know, back in 1995, when I read my Bible in a year. Wow, that was a good year. You know, our faith is not something we did. It's about what we're doing today. It's about whether we're surrendering today, whether we're submitting to God today. And allowing the Spirit, as it says, we know that we abide because the Spirit in us. It's the Spirit that is leading you. And so I want to encourage you to just spend some time to, to just ask the Spirit, what are you asking of me? Where are you leading me? And I believe that we are in a very, obviously, unique time at this, at this moment. And I wonder what it is that God is wanting to do in his church. What is God wanting to do in this nation, in the nations of the world? What is God wanting to do? Because the reality is that we have lived our lives at a pace that is unsustainable. We have lived our lives at a pace that, that hinders this from happening, that hinders abiding from happening. You cannot abide at 100 miles an hour if you get my drift. You know, you cannot. and We need to, I pray that we take this opportunity to slow down. And there are times, and you can read this in the scripture, you can read it in the time that the Israelites were exiled into Babylon because they hadn't observed the Lord's Sabbath for 490 years. And God took them into exile for 70 years. Because he was like, right, you've, you've not done what I wanted. Now you're going to have to do it. Yeah. And I wonder in some respects if God is going to use the time we're in to say, look, you've been running around. You've been doing church. Now let's be church. Yeah. Now let's know, come into that place where you abide in me and from that. I'm going to do something. So let's click on the last slide, I think it is. There's this call from God. Come and abide in me. And again, you're going to have plenty of times to do stuff over these coming weeks, particularly as we might get more locked down and maybe you'll learn some great new hobbies, you know, how to cook, how to sew, how to decorate your house, all these things. But I really pray that the thing that we come out of this is to say, wow, I spent time abiding in God and that is something I'm not going to let go of again. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your truth. I thank you that your word is life. You are life and you are love. You are light. And you have given us this eternal life, that eternal life may abide in us, and flow through us. But the reality is this only comes through abiding in you. And we have a unique opportunity in these days to learn to abide in you, to learn more of you. But also to express that relationship that we have with you to others in the way we relate to them, how we love them. And I pray that if we are convicted in our hearts this morning, that we feel just like I know that I don't love enough. I know that I can be selfish far too often. And I pray that you will lead me and anyone else who feels convicted in this way to not just love in thought, but to love in deed. And to put this in action but knowing that it can only happen if I receive your love and so this moment we just receive your love may you come Lord and minister your truth to us your love to us that we are loved by you you knew us before the foundation of the world you called us by name you have numbered the hairs of our head you know our names You know us. And you have a plan and a purpose for us. And that you desire to live within each of us. You desire to abide in our hearts, in our lives. And to bring life in us, abundant life. You come to set us free, Lord. You come to bring us into a place of security. What love you have for us. And may we receive that love now that will enable us to love others as you desire us to love them. Amen. going to sing yet not I but Christ through me.